Hello, my name is Corey, and welcome to the RCF Podcast, a place where you can dive deep into what the scriptures say, get caught up on current events, or sit back and listen to topical discussions on life from all ages. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now I'm going to turn it over to RCF's Pastor James. All right, hey, welcome back to a closer look as we dive into the to the scriptures, uh, the history, and a little bit of the kind of the setup and the preparation for uh, what we'll be covering on Sunday. In particular, as we've been going through right now, it's been the seven churches in Revelation. As we want to take this time and and get into the few things that you just can't quite touch base on in our time together Sunday. And for those of who want to to take a closer look at a little bit of the history and things, we're gonna we're just getting started in that. So. Thanks again for joining us. Today we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and it is the church of Sardis. So this city called Sardis, during the time which John would write, we're going to talk a little bit about that, largely kind of the history about that today, because I think it was quite important for some of the phrases that Jesus uses. And so as we look at that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the verses And then we're going to jump into the history. And to the angel, to the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who hasn't here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches or is saying to the church. So the, the city of Sardis, I want to back up and talk a little bit about the history of this city, as I think that Jesus, because so many of them were familiar with their culture and their heritage and where they came from, that some of the things that he will say in this letter are really foundational. They would have understood and it would have been a part of uh, understanding the message from him in particular. So, once upon a time, back in history, so as Jesus wrote this epistle or had John write it to them there in the mid-90s A.D. Sardis is actually a very old city. Surprisingly, it was a very old, especially, you know, in, in that country, if you're an old city, that's that's saying something. But some say, speculate that it very well have dated back to 2000 B.C., a long time before um, this day, so it could have been a very well a couple thousand year old city at that point. Uh, knowing that here in the United States we only <laughs> we only have some that are several hundred years old, uh, but this city at, even at this point is very very old. 
And in fact, in a very, it's, it still remains to this day in a very small, small um, way. It's not much of a city anymore, but but there are still some remnants of, of people dwelling in that area still even today. So it's about 50 miles east of Ephesus and about 30 miles south of Thyatira. And in its history, it was a very significant city, much more significant than it was in the day of John. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So where it really comes on the scene as just this jewel, this really important, amazing city really has its heyday during the uh, kingdom of Lydia. And the kingdom of Lydia spanned from about 1200 uh, BC and had its fall, or its first fall, I should say, about 546 BC. And during that time, it was, you know, this city Sardis was its capital. And it was, well, it was quite amazing. And as you came to it, it, it was actually at this crossroads of highways. And by highways in those days, you really meant just frequently traveled uh, trade routes. So as the, there was these five trade routes that would really kind of came together very near the base of this city. And so it really was connected to the world in its day. But the city of Sardis actually at that time sat up kind of on this, we'll, we'll say this citadel, this very high point. If you need an image for your mind for us Roseburgites or us Southern Oregoners, it's almost like if it sat up on, on Table Rock. It was up on this precipice that was about 1,500 feet above the trade routes. And it had these sheer, just sharp edges on its front, on the three front sides that you could approach it. And so the city was almost invulnerable. You almost couldn't attack it. And so it was just this beautiful city up on this hill connected to all these trade routes. Well, as time went on, this leader, Croesus, was kind of the most notable re, uh, ruler, and it was towards the end. He was born somewhere around 595 BC. Nobody knows the time of his death. Well, Croesus, this king who inherits this wonderful city that was the jewel, and, and they were just protected, and nobody could get at him, he does something very stupid. And if you know your history, then this is kind of a no-brainer on the dumb end. Uh, he attacked King Cyrus of the Persians, right? World empire. Massive army like no country really has seen. Just this big lumbering bear, as, as Daniel would describe it in prophecy. But powerful, amazing warriors that, that overthrew Babylon and were the big dogs of their day. Well, Croesus, he decides he's going to pick a fight with them. Well, and inevitably on the battlefield is, is just getting beat down. So he retreats to Sardis. He retreats up on their city on the hill. They're overlooking all these areas. Not you know, Nobody could get at him. In fact, they thought it was so easily to defend this, this fortress of a city that history says that they claim that even a child could defend Sardis. Well, here they had the, the greatest army in the world at the time at their door, 
Uh, Cyrus surrounds the city and they're just not really worried about it. And Cyrus sees, well, you know, we just, we can't get up there and fight. Well, he had, you know, um, he had a number of soldiers from around the world, not just from Persia. And, and one, it was a foreign guy. So says, uh, the history. And he was sitting there just watching the city, keeping an eye on things. When he noticed one afternoon, a, a soldier, he lost his helmet tumbles down the cliff. He was watching the wall there. And so he waits and he looks and he watches. And, and about evening, he notices that this soldier, he's gonna, he, he kind of goes down and all of a sudden he's going down the, the rock wall that you couldn't even tell there was a trail there. Just kind of this little mountain goat trail goes down, gets his helmet, slips back up and, and uh, goes in the gate and away he goes. Well, the soldier, he reports this and and so Cyrus, he takes kind of his, oh, what would you say, uh, special forces. He, he sends in his Navy SEALs, if you will. And at night, and they, they go over, they find this trail, and they make their way up there. And when they get to the city, they don't find anybody watching. Nobody knows it's even going to happen. So the special forces, they go in, the city's asleep. And they take the city and open the gate. And Cyrus wins the day. And the city falls. Well, as you know, through the process of history, uh, even the mighty Persian Empire falls as Greece rises. And somewhere in the midst of that, as the kingdom of Lydia stops and, and Cyrus is, or Sardis is no longer the capital, it becomes a city again and kind of rebuilds and Persia comes and goes across the pages of history and it becomes its own thing again. Well, during that time, of course, as you know, Alexander the Great rose and then his kingdom was broken to four parts. Well, one of those generals, he decides he's going to take this city. And the same kind of problem occurred in Sardis. As um, Antiochus in 218 BC, he's going to take this city. And Antiochus, you know, he was, he was a go-getter. But he also knew his history as he surrounds to besiege this city because he wants to take it. The city, not learning from its past and its history, becomes arrogant and confident in its strength and doesn't set watchmen on the wall, doesn't keep an eye on it, doesn't remember what happened in the past. They're just confident in their current strength and former glory. But Antiochus, he knows he knows the history. He knows that there were old paths and, and how Cyrus had taken this city just 300 years before. So he hires the best kind of mountain climber that he could get a hold of. And that climber finds a trail into the city up this what seems unapproachable wall. And again, same thing. They find a city that's asleep, overconfident in its strength and once against falls. And so that was kind of the ancient history of this city, Sardis. And as it continued on into the time of the Romans, as it would see those three great world powers with Persia, actually old enough to see Babylon, then Persia, and then Greece. But when it came into the Roman Empire, it never really got established as kind of, you know, a, a capital of a country because Rome wasn't going to move its capital there, <laughs> obviously. But something interesting happened 
somewhere around 17 AD. There was a massive earthquake and the city as it sat up on its on its uh, citadel, on its you know perch of strength and glory, was destroyed. And Sardis was rebuilt at the foot of that mountain, still at the, the connecting five trade routes for the empire, but no longer a, a, a military might that it once was. Now it was down in the lowlands. But it still had the pride and the history and the sense of identity from who it was. And so they really hung on and, and in their culture would pass on the knowledge of its strength and its glory and its history. And so that will become very important because in, in history it is known as a city that was taken as a thief in the night one that had forgotten why it was strong and didn't watch, but instead it slept at night and was taken by surprise. And so as we see Jesus use some of this language to this church that knew its history, talked about its history, he said, hey, man, in verse 3, I will, if you don't watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you won't know at what hour I came upon you. They would have known. They were fully aware. We know from historians such as Herodotus or others that they were fully aware of their history and had those phrases out there of how their city fell not once but twice as someone came in like a thief when they didn't watch in an hour they didn't know and the kingdom of Lydia fell as their capital of Sardis fell. And again, this city fell to Antiochus. And Jesus said to the church that, hey, this isn't only a part of your culture, but this speaks into not only your city, but how you're walking and following me. And if you don't repent, your overconfidence, your glorying in your past strength, because you're not watching, because you're not holding fast you may fall just as your city has and so that that's a, a some interesting aspect of of their history and what was known about their culture and begins to speak into a lot of what jesus had to say to them you know um and we do that as a church oftentimes you know we look at our past glory or i went on this mission trip or we're we're sprung out of this great saint or out of that great saint. Um, and we begin to forget, what is God doing today? Are we watching today? Are we living and are we ministering today? Jesus reminded this church that he, he's the one who has the, the fullness, the seven spirits of God. What is the spirit of God doing today? Is your church, is your life based upon what your former glory was. Were you the capital? Were you the cat's meow and invested in all this? Or is it a living relationship today? So interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Some other side notes historically. It was a really great place to go get a job. They had trade going on in wool products and textiles and and various things that were just kind of crafts and trades. A little bit like what we talked about when it came to the church in Thyatira. Um, not being too far away, they had many 
uh, similar trades. And being along those five trade routes, it opportunity it had great opportunity for work, and a lot of people came there. It wasn't a place of heavy persecution, and perhaps that's because they had lost their desire to reach out. They were just sitting on the God of yesterday, if you will, what God had done, and they weren't pushing the boundaries of that anymore. And we do that oftentimes as we see things go from how God will work in a man, and he makes a movement, and then it becomes a monument or even a machine, and then pretty soon it's just a memorial of what he has done. The uh, gods there, Artemis, Diana, if you will, during their time and in, in history, they really kind of focused on the nature aspect of it. Kind of became a nature cult there, if you will, that really focused on death and rebirth. And you know, that may be also an interesting little historical note on, on why Jesus gives that promise and talks about the, the book of life and what he brings back to life. Interesting that he doesn't have much good to say to this church, only that they had a name that they were alive, that there was something once in their history that was good, and they focused on that, um, which is a good word to us. How much of your own press do you believe? How much are you clipping out your own newspaper? clippings to say, yeah, this is where I've been, this is what I've done. But what is Jesus doing today? How are you responding to him today? I'll kind of wind it down with this again, because I don't want to get into too much teaching. We want to save that for Sunday, and I don't want to cover the same things twice too much. But there was an interesting story, as uh, I think this was shared by Joe Foch, maybe, an old Don McClure story. Um that as he was growing up and his dad would kind of drag him around, this was around 18 or 19, and he was always kind of in the ministry and and uh, always mixing it up with all these important guys, you know, your Alan Redpath or Wilder Smith or I think the guy that he pointed out that he was going to talk to um, may have been Wilder Smith. Um, he, he was really kind of impressed by him because this gentleman that he was meeting in this group, um, Billy Graham had said, you know what, this guy, he's really, he's, he's just kind of the, the greatest scholar, the guy that you go to of our time. And so Don said, oh, well, this guy's pretty important, you know, and I don't want to sound stupid in front of him. So he, he tried to ask him a question and said, you know, I said, hey, what do you think is the greatest threat to Christianity today? And Wilder turned and looked at him, didn't hesitate, didn't blink, looked him dead in the eye and said, dead orthodoxy. Dead orthodoxy. And this is a church that both as a city, as a people, and then now in their Christianity before the Lord had come to this point. A living relationship not something they could analyze their way out of. They needed the power of the Spirit. They needed to stop and to remember. 
And though we just kind of really just did a quick survey through history and a little background work for Sunday, wouldn't be a bad idea to kind of maybe just dig in for a minute and remember how you received the word. Are you now trying to do, based on former glory or current strength, what you once received from him freely and walked in joyfully in his power and his strength for his glory? Well, until next time or until I see you Sunday, may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you guys as you dig in. And again, hey, if you come up with some interesting tidbits or something maybe I should have covered, feel free to throw me out a note as we run onward and upward for him. God bless you.